Welcome back, everyone, to this week's finance-focused industry insight podcast. I'm we well. We are lucky to be joined today by uh, Eric Collins. Eric, how are you doing? Fine, thank you, and thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to podcasters about what's going on in our world of finance. Well, I know you're busy, so thank you for talking to us. Uh, why don't you just start us off a little bit about your background? I'm worried that you do this kind of thing quite a lot, so it can be brief. Um, but more about maybe what interests you had growing up and how you got to where you are today. And did you um, always know that you wanted to, you know, co-found a venture capitalist firm? Is that something you've dreamed of since you were five years old? Or, you know, how did you stumble into that? You know, I think the road to venture capital is a winding one from almost, for almost anyone who actually does it. Particularly people who, like me, started off life pretty academically focused and then have gone through a a series of careers. The first time that I actually ran into venture capital as a entity was when I actually went to try and raise money from my first company that I spun out of another. And I had been a partner in a strategy firm. There's a process that we had developed that I thought made sense to, to digitize and that would actually help in the digital economy. And so I went out, I packaged that up, found a CTO, and then packaged everything for um, conversations with venture capitalists. And so I went to talk to dozens and dozens of those and finally found uh, one or two who were actually interested and got a term sheet. I have then been one of those people just based on how long I've been in the world that I keep, that I have hit a number of financial meltdowns. I, that was a digital or the dot-com meltdown when I first got my term sheet, which created all sorts, wreaked all sorts of havoc. And I was in Boston, Massachusetts at the time. And then I got here and there, and then there was the um, 2008 um, meltdown of the financial markets. I was around for September 11th and the challenges that occurred for business based on September 11th. And then now as we're dealing with COVID and Black Lives Matter, there has also been you know, sort of an upheaval. One of the things I can say for age is that it gives you an opportunity to um, try and draw on those past experiences and to come up with interesting strategies. And then by being a venture capitalist to then try and use a portfolio approach to solution sets, i.e., since I've had these experiences and I'm working with a bunch of venture, venture-backed companies, how can I then help to, and along with my other um, partners, as well as the principals in our organization, how can we imbue that information and then spread it across for best effect in our portfolio and then also our wider um, pipeline companies. So I think for me, that's a good sort of an explanation as to how I came to venture capital. And did I dream about it when I was younger? If you, if you went back and you looked at me in university, where I went to university and then also where I went to law school, you actually had to do papers. And one of the papers that you had to do was an end of career paper, meaning that at the end of your university career, as well as at the end of your law school, you had to do a seminal piece of research in order to graduate. Both of my seminal pieces of research, if you look back, were both about venture capital uh, from undergraduate. Uh, I talked about what were the governmental policies that had stimulated African-American entrepreneurship in the United States. And since the arrival of Black people in the United States, there's a few things you've just mentioned there that I'd like to pick up on. Um, I'm breaking the script here, so I hope uh, my producer doesn't kill me. But let's see where it goes. Um, there is a rich history of black entrepreneurship um, that even I touched upon during things like my, my A-level history. You know, people like Booker T. Washington, there's, a, there's an immense um, history of black people being self-starters 
and the ones which are remembered as successful when people are disenfranchised like African-Americans have been um, to kind of get up and do it off your own back is um, an immense source of inspiration. Is there anyone who stood out for you during your studies or, or, you know, has you feel like has inspired your kind of um, transition towards self-start? You know, that's a very interesting question. That's a question no one's ever asked me. That's, and I, I actually have an answer. But I go a little bit back because you mentioned Booker T. Washington. And Booker T. Washington has an outsized um, presence in the United States alongside a guy named W.E.B. Du Bois as sort of two people who were coexisting um, back in the turn of the century, both who'd had um, very big influences upon, upon uh, the African-American population. Um, Booker T. Washington started a university called Tuskegee Institute, and I was actually born at Tuskegee Institute. My father was a professor there. All the children in our family were born there. And so we were born in the segregated South. Um, and it is fascinating to think that you'd mentioned that here, someone who from your accent, it sounds like you're British, and so that you would know about Booker T. Washington. So that actually is something that's interesting for me. And I've taken lessons from Booker T. Washington, W.D.B. Du Bois, um, from um, Paul Gilroy here, from Stuart Hall here, lots and lots of intellectuals about sort of what is the way in which you try and negotiate a life. And um, one of the things that I, I do think uh, is that you have to use examples and some of those examples help you to dissect what might make sense for you and what might not make sense for you. So when I was thinking about entrepreneurship and I was thinking about roles, there was a guy named Reginald Lewis, who you might not remember, but Reginald Lewis was, was a, a, a man who had gone to the same law school that I had and started a company doing various things. And at one point he then did a huge buyout of an organization and created the, the largest black business um, called Beatri called TCL, TLC, I'm sorry, TLC. He had to purchase Beatrice, uh, which was a, um, you know, lots of food, different types of food manufacturer, and made this into a billion dollar a year enterprise, which there hadn't been one that was started by black people in the United States. And this was back, I think, in the 1990s. And I remember reading about him and reading about sort of how he had gone from being a lawyer to being something else in order to actually make this happen. So using the financial markets to you know, make things happen was very interesting to me. But then you see Pat McGrath, who has a, she's a unicorn, she's British and she's you know, in makeup and Pat McGrath Labs, her company is, it has, is worth several billion, I think at this particular point, but it's a generalist company. And so then I had to start asking the question as to sort of were generalist companies and or were black targeted companies sort of a way to, to actually go and what were the differences in the starting of those companies? So I think lots of companies have influenced how I think and I've spent a number of years studying those various companies. I mean, obviously, when I, I'm finding during my internship that when you're in finance, um, academic things are awesome, right? Mm -hmm. As an intellectual exercise. But until something's been empirically tested and someone's done it, tried, failed, or succeeded, uh, that tends to be the best way to learn, perhaps. And so, I mean, if we're touching upon um, your VC firm, so ImpactX Capital Partners, great name, by the way. It's almost like a superhero name. I don't know what's going on there, but that's great. Um, so you, you focus on supporting under, upper, underrepresented entrepreneurs. Um, could you touch upon maybe some of the challenges you think that um, black entrepreneurs currently face? And I guess there's a highlight there um, at the moment with Black Lives Matter and, and that kind of context. 
I think all other um, people, you know, put other in quotation marks, face one of the most common challenges uh, that any organization will face, but it's, it's amplified. Every organization that is a company requires capital. What I would say that we, one of the reasons that ImpactX was started is because we noted that there was an inefficiency in the market. And when you're thinking about, you're in finance, so you know that you should really be looking for opportunity where there are gaps. You look for opportunity where there are inefficiencies. Identify that inefficiency, identify a way to address it, and then pursue it better than anyone else. We know that um, in the UK, we know in Europe, we know in the world that people of color, particularly black people, have an under, there's an underinvestment based on the proportions of population in companies that are started by them. And that with, if you start off with less money and you start off with less resource, the opportunities to build big businesses are actually reduced. Your opportunities for flexibility are curtailed. Your ability to make differences are, are deadened. And so that is the dynamic in which ImpactX entered. There's an inefficiency and the inefficiency can be very highly targeted on underrepresented. And if we take black as an example of underrepresented, there's a whole set of opportunities there that make sense. And our belief is that across the population of the world, there's an equal amount of smarts. There's an equal amount of good ideas, but, but capital's not evenly distributed. So that indeed, us coming in, we would say it's just a given that we would find great ideas. And that these great ideas are not just to create the next best barbershop, but it's the next best Amazon. It's the next best Netflix. I think the most interesting piece for me is that, and the most challenging piece for me, uh, and this doesn't necessarily have to do with my entrepreneurs, although they face the capital issue, and thankfully we're around so we can help address those. I think for me that when you go into a place, you're, I'm dealing with this, what I call the dilemma of standard deviation, meaning that the idea of who are the best investors, who are the best people to run organizations, an image of that is a white man of a certain age. And maybe even a certain location, it's not even, you know, especially when we're talking about venture capital, it's not Europe, it's in Silicon Valley. It's not even the United States generally, it's just in Silicon Valley specifically. Those are the best people at that. And every standard deviation you are away from that means that you are not as good. And it's just in people's minds, there's this sort of mythology that exists in this actual belief. Overcoming that is something which is required for impact decks almost every day, because every day we're raising money from various people. And we, if we have to go in and say, we are a fund that is focused on underrepresented, the fund manager is black, we're highly skewed toward women, we are investing in um, companies that we think will be the next, the next Google, and that, that and we believe that the next Google is going to be a, a black woman out of, uh, out of Streatham, if we're saying those sorts of things and that just doesn't jive with what people believe, you're having to do all that education, belief, persuasion before we can even get to the conversation of then what are the return likely, what are the return multiples going to be? And that challenge is one that for me is the most um, frustrating. And it is not necessarily one that goes away. Now, Black Lives Matter helped us to get a new vocabulary around that because we can call that uh, you know, systematic 
uh, and systemic racism. We can talk about it as institutionalized inequality. We can talk about the re things that happen called microaggressions. We have a whole new vocabulary. Until things start to change, meaning not that people can name these things, but they've actually changed their behaviors. Like the decision makers that come to see me and that I go to see look a bit more like me and have a sort of a worldview that's sort of equal or equivalent to mine that in fact, you know, that young black woman in Stratford, Stratham is going to actually, you know, come up with this fantastic new approach for, for creating new derivative derivatives. You know, until people believe that, I have, an, I have several different hurdles that I have to actually jump that um, in sometimes are insurmountable. And so what we do instead of trying to jump over those hurdles is we say, well, we'll come back to you later once we've proven some things that will actually be proof. And we may never have proof positive for certain people, but there will be people who, you know, don't need all the proof in the world, but we'll need some proof points. And then we can move on and hopefully, hopefully they'll become part of the army of the willing. And that's part of our strategy to continue to grow people who know, people who believe, and let's then work together. If you don't, we, we don't have time to waste. So we can't, we can't spend time trying to get you to that point. Uh, absolutely and and you've mentioned education there and i'm i am well i don't look it but i'm quite young um mm. and i'm i'm very aware that there are many things in this world that i don't quite yet have a full grasp of and i like to talk about talk to people with more experience than myself and people you know well within the heart of a struggle to understand what really makes it up but one thing that comes across to me when it comes to things like diversity inclusion that kind of thing is education and mm -hmm and allowing people to understand that if there is systematic racism and if there is institutionalized race, racism, then you really need to understand where it comes from and what's the history behind these issues and see statistics about black on black crime or, uh, or stop and searches or whatever it happens to be. Um, don't look at that in isolation. Understand um, that that is an outcome of 200 or 300 years of kind of institutionalized racism. So I think education is, is something that I take away from this conversation so far. It's really, really key. And hopefully one day it's, it's seamless. We don't even have to talk about these things. People are just aware of them. But up until that point, you are, you're fighting the, the hard fight, it seems. Um, one of my friends told me, I have a good friend who's in, who is a you know, very big scholar in film. And she tells me, Eric, if you look back, because I, I was complaining about A Star is Born. I said, look, A Star is Born has been remade four times. Why are we watching A Star is Born? And she said, Eric, the thing is, you, you have to retell stories for a new generation. So if The Star was, was a Born was um, you know, sort of most recently done with, um, with the same title with Barbara Streisand in it, and before that with Judy Garland, and then before that, uh, you know, a black and white film, those things all have to be told, and each one is popular and sort of tells a universal story, but you have to continue telling that story time and time again because it is somewhat lost. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out whether or not we ever get to the point that the story is fully told and understood. I mean, is the story, I mean, you're here in the UK, is the story of, you know, sort of the role of Wilberforce in terms of the abolition of slavery, is that really known? I mean, and is the, and, and do people know that in 2015 was, we, the last payment was made by the British government for reparations for slave owners in terms yeah. of the amendment? Told, probably and told again I don't necessarily want to be the person to tell those stories because I'm not that kind of a historian I'm married to a historian but I'm not necessarily a historian <laughs> you've seen enough it seems yeah <laughs> well I think that's what we we also have to say how much is enough for yeah. us to say we need to continue moving forward we need to remember the past celebrate the past but we've got to move forward we have got to be diligently 
and yeah. maniacally focus forward so that we can actually move toward the world, the creation of the world we want to see, uh, which is a far distance from where we've been. And, you know, quite frankly, it's a far distance from where we were 100 years ago, 200 years ago. And hopefully in the next five years, it'll be, you know, even much, much further along than it is actually now. Absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about things like, um, now people say now, the rules are the same now. Um, I was listening to Ben Shapiro. Um, don't don't, uh, don't uh, judge me for that, Eric. I was just, I like to get a diverse, um, and he speaks a million miles an hour. So five minutes of Ben Shapiro is about half an hour of everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. But um, one thing he said to me really kind of irked me the wrong way. And that was, uh, oh, well, the ru- rules are the same now. Institutionalized racism, it, it's not really a thing. But he doesn't understand that, you know, I like, I, I don't know if you've heard of it, but the Monopoly analogy, right? If, if you started the game, so if you, you know the game Monopoly, I assume, you're probably good at it as well. Um, I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a very sore loser. Um, mm-hmm. But if, if everyone starts a game at the same time, right, and right. two or three players out of six kind of build up a lot of equity, and now they've got houses and hotels and they're charging huge rent, and then you give someone later on um, entrance into that game with the same amount of money that everyone else started with and the same rules, they still won't win that game or even do very well in that game. They'll die off within a few rounds. And that's what I'm talking about here. And you mentioned a few things. Like, do you know about Wilberforce? Do you know about reparations? I had to find out on my own. And, and I, in school, even when we were taught about kind of African history, mm-hmm. there's never a, a severe kind of condemnation of what transpired, right? And there needs to be um, a relevance. It, it's not, you can't look at it in isolation. I think you need to tie it to what's going on in the world today. That's the beauty of history, right? It's a kind of constant channel of information. Um, and so when you talk about that kind of thing, I don't think most of our listeners will even be aware that we, we just finished paying reparations. And those reparations came from colonies where my ancestors are from, i.e. India. Mm-hmm. Right? India was pillaged to pay. Um, and I actually went to school with a, I can't name him because I don't want him to get into trouble. But his great-grandfather was the largest slave owner in the country. Um, and, you know, I went to school with this guy and he was very, very pleasant. But I went to school with him for five years and I didn't even know that, you know, there was that connection between us. So when you talk about education, um, it's immense, it's powerful. It has the ability to uh, change people. I, I come from a very working class background. Mm-hmm. And my dad was so um, keen on me to learn about the world. And it's opened me up to um, even having these level of, this level of thought regarding black people within my family. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll members of my family saying things that are so... Um, uh, superficial regarding black people without understanding um, why those things are happening. And I guess part of, I'm a physicist. I, that's a loose term, by the way, Eric. Uh, mm-hmm. I speak physics. Um, but I like to understand why things are happening. And that drove me to try and understand, you know, even when I go to school, why are the Indian background kids doing better than the black kids, even if our families are from a similar income background or that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I, these kinds of questions boiled in my mind. But Really, my teachers should have perhaps um, made a, a more concerted effort to help those kids understand it. And when I talk about education, I don't just mean um, educating white people about black people, educating black people about black people as well, because they don't even know. Some of my, you know, best friends growing up were black, and and now we're older, they're still not aware of why those kind of barriers exist for them. And if you don't even know what's holding you back, you might ever know how to get past it. 
is the kind of way I look at it. But I'm not here to tell people what's right and what's wrong, of course. I need to learn as well. I do think, I do think there is a place for almost everything under the sun. And the question of do we want to educate people and what, about what, what do we wish to educate people? Some days I just have to ask that question because I think some of the things are, it, it, you, the type of information that I give an entrepreneur is it really going to help them uh, to move forward? Is it going to help them to just, you know, it's neutral or is it actually going to hold them back? And it's not that I'm saying that we, we keep information from people. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying that there are things. So for instance, telling people very specifically that if you take venture capital from an institutional investor like us, it has strings attached and those strings are very specific and hard to deal with from time to time, because when you take money from a venture capitalist, venture capitalist doesn't give you money and say, you know, you've won the lottery. They say, I've got people who gave me this money, or I've got some uh, institutions who are giving me this money, and this money is intended to be returned. I've made some promises about when and how it's going to be returned to them. And, you know, it's supposed to, and it's going to come guilt wrapped. It's going to become that platinum, platinum embossed because it needs to return at an extreme rate in a very short period of time. So when someone takes venture capital, so you a physicist coming out of university, you have a degree, you have a great idea, you put together this company and you think I'm creating a lifestyle firm that's going to allow me to do the following. It's like, well, and I'm saying, well, I've just given you this money. You've got three years to return it at a 5X multiple. Have at it. Those are some of the things that I, I, you know, many of us don't necessarily understand. And that's part of the education that I also wonder if we're balancing it with some of the backward looking, what is the forward uh, sort of accelerating education that we actually need to make available to people? So, you know, I'm still a student in the world. Um, I still am learning all the time and reading a lot. The people around my table who are at Impact X are, you know, some of the most successful Black people that exist in the world that have ever existed in the world. I mean, if you have a person on your board named Ursula Burns, who is the ultimate unicorn, she's the only Black woman to have ever run a Fortune 500 company. So think about it. There's 7.7 billion people in the world. There have been, I don't know how many people have lived since the beginning of time. Fortune 500 companies are a very small group. People that run them are a tiny, tiny group. The only black woman to have ever won one is one person who's decided that she's going to put her resources behind a thing called Impact X. The same thing is a guy named Lenny Henry, who's also one of my investors. You know, Lenny Henry comes first on the scene when he's 16 as a comedian on, you know, on one of these shows like, you know, Britain's Got Talent, the old version of that. And, you know, because again, the world keeps on reinventing the same things. We keep seeing the same movie, The Star is Born. So he was a star who was born on television. Red, he comes to the conclusion that he needs to also work with us and put his money behind us. It's very interesting, though, to have those people at the table and what I can learn from them and then how we can try and take, and my team can learn from them, how we can take that information and then convey it a bit more generously and not sort of just hold it to ourselves, but to be able to sort of more generously put that forward. And we have a thing called uh, we have a series of webinars that we have for our portfolio companies and our and our pipeline companies where we actually have people come and talk about sort of various topics and it's 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 very good it's 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 very good and it's a way for us to actually pass a, another type of education on to the next generation i'm 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 uh, I, even if this wasn't part of my job i'm i'm taking immense pleasure from talking to you Eric, and and 
I'm, forgive me if I pause and try and digest what you're saying. Um, there are a few things I want to touch upon, perhaps in terms of the um, the business side of what you do. So, from I, I'm an asset management company currently in the investment team, and I look at kind of uh, I've looked quite closely at thematic funds, which is this kind of new thing going on. And what you're talking about there strikes me as quite similar to a thematic fund. You have an investment thesis, which is quite top down. I we're narrowing our universe to um, to black owned companies or um, kind of small companies starting by underrepresented people. And how do you deal with the concentration that that may lead to within your portfolio? And does that mean that you often go through periods without finding what you're looking for? Or is there actually just a wealth of ideas out there and, and you're kind of overflowing with information? So I would say it's the second, that we are overflowing with opportunity. One of the things that you'll constantly hear in venture is that the pipeline is key. How do you get the companies? It's an, in some ways, venture capital is a numbers game. It's also a good an analytic and selection process, but it's a numbers game. You have to have a lot, a lot of companies coming at the top of the funnel in order to be able to find the jewels at the bottom of the funnel. And even once you found those jewels, most venture capital companies, uh, most of the companies in a venture capital company's portfolios don't actually make their money back. They might make just their money back a little bit more, but most of these are highly speculative and therefore um, many will go bust. When you're looking at that sort of a thing, you need a lot, when you're looking at that sort of an equation, you need lots and lots of companies. What we have found is that we are able to source a lot of companies. So since we started in 2018 and began investing in May of 2019, we've been able to source over 700 companies that fit our core criteria as being started by underrepresented. And if your listeners don't know, underrepresented to us means that if you look at the venture capital companies in the portfolios of other venture capital companies, they, the people who are not in those are underrepresented and those are the ones we wish to see. In the UK and in Europe, underrepresented, we can almost say women, and in every country, women, in every country, people of color, in every country, particularly among people of color, black people are underrepresented in every venture capital portfolio. So that's the kind of people that we're at, for which we're actually looking. We don't find that there is hyper-concentration because we're actually looking at three categories, and we look at three sectors. Health, education, lifestyle, that's one. Media and entertainment, that's another. And then obviously a most robust one is digital and, uh, digital and technology. So those three categories are what we're looking for. And we're really looking at the stage that we don't look at pre-concept. We don't look at pre-seed, therefore. We don't look at um, seed so much. We look at market, product market fit, business model hypothesis. Those are the companies we want to see with traction characteristics. And then those are the organizations which with, that we're able to evaluate and move forward because we are valuation-driven companies. When we think about, when I think about market concentration, I think that you are sort of over-indexing in terms of particular view. And quite frankly, I would say most companies that are venture capital companies in the UK probably over-index for looking at people who went to Cambridge and Oxford, people who are white men, and so that concentration, I think, actually does exist for us. That's not really our situation. Our situation is a group of, you know, there are large populations and growing populations around Europe of black, browns. Uh, women are certainly, you know, still continue to be a majority of the population. So we find ourselves in a pretty green field without a huge amount of concentration. I think the challenge that we find is that if you look at, so I'm going to give you a statistic. In the United States, between 2008 and 2018, 
there was $450 billion that were invested using venture capital means in companies. If you look at the number of the organizations that then received that money, 400 and, and no, I'm sorry, it's 425 billion. 425 million went to black founding teams. So about 1%, probably a little bit less than 1%. If you, look at the, if you look at Europe and you look at our pipeline, our pipeline, when you look at the, the financial needs of those pipeline at their current stage of investment, it's about 450 million pounds would be needed today to fund those companies. If we looked at those as fully, as fully scaled, several billion pounds are needed to fully take care of the financial needs to get them from where they are to exit, as we would estimate. We're raising 100 million pounds to invest. What we really need in order to be able to address the needs are billions. If you think about an organization, a single organization like Uber, before they went public, raised multiple billions. And we're talking about that one company having more financial heft than the entire amount of money which is needed by just the pipeline we've identified in less than a year. Those numbers are something interesting to digest when we think that over 10 years, the amount of money that was actually able to be put using venture capital means into black companies in just the United States was less money than we would need today to fund underrepresented entrepreneurs in our pipeline alone. And we haven't even scratched the surface in terms of the entrepreneurs that are actually out there. So for me, there's not a concentration challenge. For me, there is an opportunity funnel evaluation challenge that an organization like ours has to get industrial about addressing. And that becomes extremely important. Now that I've been doing this internship for a little while, and, and when we talk about, um, when you talk about the perception of, I'm just going to give a kind of, uh, perhaps an analogy here. If we, if we consider kind of like an ESG fund, right? So mm -hmm. if don't know ESG, I'm re referring to environmental social governance, which is um, becoming a huge focus for asset managers or just investment firms in general, um, there is a slight misconception that that means you are doing something with positive social impact um, at the sacrifice of profitability. Eric, correct me if I'm wrong, but that perception is um, maybe something that you have to deal with as well. Like Eric is a black guy who's helping other black people to do well. Maybe their businesses aren't as good as the kind of mass market out there but you'll still get a bit of money. Whereas actually what you're saying is there's immense potential for value and growth. Mm -hmm. And it's a region of the market, which is relatively inexplored. And so you've got a great potential to actually outperform because of your investment thesis. You are right in saying that. I think the, the um, impression I talked to you about my standard deviation dilemma, I believe that most people, many people, when we say that we're investing in underrepresented, I say, I say this all the time, they believe that what we are is a charity. So that what you could never find that there are entrepreneurs who are actually returning value. And if they're returning value, they're returning value because they are hairdressers and barbers, as opposed to returning value because they're the, they are Amazon. So that's kind of one of the challenges we exist with. When we're talking about ImpactX is a double bottom line fund. So we actually are a fund that believes in a return, a, so, a positive social impact. Um, coming from the investments that we make. And the people who invest with us understand that that's important. We're very specific, though. With the ESG, we kind of look at S, but S, the S that uh, most organizations are measuring is not what we're talking about. We are talking about the ability of um, 
organizations that we invest in to actually create jobs at the, at the founder level, the C-suite, the board, in decision-making with P&L responsibilities, and then also in the engineering decision-making organization. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about those individuals. We're talking about those individuals and those types of roles being the ones that we are actually funding. We are not funding uh, organizations that don't have people at those sorts of levels in them. And we believe that it's important because there's a virtuous circle which exists. And we saw this with COVID and the like, that the types of jobs that people have and the types of experiences lead to a certain type of morbidity. It leads to, and we also know that it leads to less wealth in families. We know that it leads to less, high, less economic and um, educational attainment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so one of the things that we believe is that if you're creating jobs, the job should be of a sort that can either, you can grow within the job and so within the organization and you can grow into a higher, into some higher level. Two, you can always go to another organization because you have a pedigree that makes sense. Three, you can start your own organization. That then creates at some point some exits. Those exits, for those of you who know what exit is, it means you go public or you sell to another company. That then releases capital, which can be used to pay back your student loans, can be used to buy a house, or can be used, and some of it will, we definitely think, be used in order to fund the next generation of entrepreneurs, therefore amplifying the money that we're investing and helping to create a flywheel effect where you get actually more entrepreneurship. So when people say to me that they are an ESG fund, I'm like, that's great. We care about the environment too. And we believe that the way to create empowered communities of underrepresented people is by making sure that there are the sorts of opportunities that exist and that's driven first by the kinds of companies that you're starting and the jobs. And we know that people of color tend to work for another person of color. In the United States, it's estimated that 60%, I don't know what the numbers are here in the UK, 60% in the United States of black people work for another black person. Not 6%, not 16%, but 60. So if you don't have strong black businesses, it means you don't have strong black, a lot of other things. You don't have strong black opportunity, you don't have strong black jobs, you don't have strong black incomes, you don't have strong black resumes, you don't have strong black families, you don't have strong black healthcare, you don't have strong black, black a number of things. And so all of that's part of this virtuous circle. So if we're gonna talk about these types of things, and I'm glad that we're talking about them here, we need to talk about these sorts of things as what are some of the levers for holistic solutions. And we believe that investing in black companies and underrepresented companies has the ability to be a lever for, for change and not just change, but a movement, not a momentary sort of change, but a movement. And a psychic and a seismic change. At my age, it's quite popular to, um, to kind of knock capitalism, right? And and um, you know, everyone's quite left at university in terms of their views on the economy and policy and things like that. But one thing I will say is, you know, the reason that capitalism is endorsed so readily in the West is that, in my kind of quite humble and immature opinion, it, it's um, it is a system which, at the moment, we've identified as being able to generate the most value for society overall, right? Otherwise, most people just wouldn't partake in it. Um, and, and so if, if there are people like you out there, Eric, and there are more people becoming aware of ESG and the impact that, you know, money drives change fundamentally. Companies drive change. Innovators drive change. And if you are the person who is controlling the key to that, then there is an immense um, potential for um, direct the world into a more 
um, for lack of a better word, kind of positive direction. Uh, Can I make a point? I think it's very important for people, and one of the things I love about educational institutions and being married to a professor is that, you know, there are those sorts of conversations that can actually be had about sort of the, the merits and benefits of various systems, whether they be social systems, family systems, um, financial systems, and economic systems, uh, and governance models, you know, higher monarchy versus dictatorship versus democracy, all of those types of things. One of the things that I believe is absolutely imperative when we have one of these conversations is for us to make sure that we move on from that conversation to, and what are we going to do today? Mm -hmm. So I like one of the things about our conversation is it's about what can we actually do? And when I am sitting here listening to um, the, and watching the world around me, one of the things that was very encouraging for me, while it was also very depressing was, I got a chance to see that in the world, there are, the interest of survival is so extreme that we will shut down the economy of the world and have people hold up in their house for months in order to save humanity. So a crisis can breed a certain type of a reaction. And it then became clear to me, oh, the reason why I'm having a conversation about these issues is because people don't consider Black entrepreneurship a crisis. People don't consider female entrepreneurship a crisis, that it's something that can happen. I was on a call today and someone said, you know, well, we had to survive and therefore we had to sort of, you know, get rid of, we had to turn back all of these um, sort of, all these hires we've done in terms of women and people of color because they're last people in, first people out the door. We um, had to think about survival of the company. So we've put behind us um, anything that has to do with diversity and inclusion. And we'll pick that up again once we've gotten back to a new normal. And you're sort of sitting here saying, that is normal. The normal should be that we are actually focusing on these sort of issues. So my point in just making this point and sort of picking up on what you said is that I really want to make sure that our focus is what can I do today? What am I making happen today? Am I actually investing my money in Black organizations? Am I using Black, um, am I using black and women uh, service providers, my person who's doing my taxes, the place where I'm putting my banking, the person who is actually giving me advice about legal matters? Am I doing any of those sorts of things or am I just existing in the world as it exists? I can complain about it, but I do nothing. Am I giving my rental income to who? Who am I giving my rental income to? All of those sorts of things have a consequence. It is part of a dynamic. And just like the virtuous circle about job creation, if you create those jobs and then all the money is then just it goes immediately to Tesco, which I'm not even sure. Is there anyone black on the board of Tesco? If it goes to Tesco, you're sort of saying to yourself, what are we doing? Are we actually making the world and are we, are we powering through our actions and inactions the world we want to see or are we not? Is Netflix actually at the top of the organization? When I get an Uber, does Uber have anyone black who's in the organization? And what am I doing when I see a black driver, but do I not see a black driver of revenue who is sort of a CEO of the organization, sort of a chief marketing officer, chief technologist, any of the board members? We know that Ursula Burns are, is one of the board members. She's one of our board members also. So we know that there are some, but I mean, are we actually interrogating these questions on a day-to-day -day basis and are we living deliberately? Or are we talking about the big issue, which is the sort of philosophic question and not then questioning our own behaviors and what we're doing? And I have to say this to people every day. Who, are you, who do you think should manage your money? Is it a fund manager like ImpactX or do you think that there's really a white guy out there who would do it better? You know, this is a soul searching moment. We've had the opportunity. We've been inside for months. 
we have been looking at Black Lives Matter and people being killed by the state, being murdered by state-sanctioned police forces that our tax dollars are paying for. And we're sitting here and we're saying to ourselves, well, we, that's a terrible thing. And then I say to myself, I've got to look at me. And am I doing things that are actually reinforcing hegemony on a day-to-day basis? Am I actually giving them fuel? And the fuel is, am I putting my pounds and pence into a movie theater chain and looking at films that have no characters, either in front of the camera or behind the character, behind the camera, who are Black? We know Marvel Universe. The, you know, Anthony Mackie has been talking about this. He's the only person as the Falcon and now Captain America who actually is Black on the set. No one who leads the department or anything. Are we doing things to actually change that? Are we observing it? And then doing, and then when it's in, only when it's convenient, do we then say, I wonder whether or not my, my shopping at Waitrose is, you know, helping or hurting the question of hegemony? I'm very wary um, that I've been very engaged in this conversation, but I've not actually asked the basic questions like, um, as someone who's involved in venture capital, you know, what do you look for in a, in a startup or a young company um, that shows you uh, indications of promise for the future? So there are different, there, venture capitalists take different sorts of, and private equity takes different kinds of views of the world and sort of how much risk they're willing to take. We're organization, we're an or, as an organization, are looking for people who have proven the ability to execute. There are other organizations that are interested in people who have proven, who show that there's an interesting idea and can talk to me through a good idea. I like you to have a great idea. And I want you to show me that you've executed against it with the resources that you have available and you found a way to create something out of a standing position. Um, so if you come to me with an with a idea written on a piece of paper, you say, I'd like to talk with you a little bit about something that I was thinking about doing that comes out of my practice having been, you know, at a fintech company for a while, I'm, I'm, I'm likely going to say, why don't you come back and talk to me and give me the best impression of you when you have something developed? Because right now you're talking to the wrong person. It's not something we're going to do. And the great thing about us is on our website, impactxcapital.com, you can find there's an entrepreneur tab. And at the entrepreneur tab, you, you hit it and there's an intake form. And if you don't know whether you should come talk to us, fill in the intake form and you'll see the questions we are asking. We're asking how many people have put money into you in the past? We're going to ask you how much revenue do you have? We're going to ask you how many users do you have? All those sorts of things. If you can't answer any of those, it's too early to come see us. If you can answer all of those very, and you say, well, we're, we are on the road to making a million this year. We made 200,000 last quarter. Then we have something to talk about. So for us, it's very important that there be product market fit and that there be evidence of traction. I say that those are the two, those are the two things. If you don't understand what product, product market fit is, it means you have a product that's actually invented and that's actually existing and that there are people who want it, whether they be companies or whether they be individuals. And we can, you can show us that those two things exist. And it can't be your mother and your little sister liked it. That is not product market fit. That is, you know, that's a sort of a biased, uh, a biased data set. So we want to see something a bit more broad than that. I mean, you are someone with a unique background in that you now work in the United Kingdom, but you grew up in the U.S. Um, the U.S. is um, known for its uh, unique uh, kind of ability to grow startup culture, and, and startups tend to kind of bloom in the slightly less regulated environment or more supportive environment in the U.S. Um, what do you think the U.K. can do going forward to help um, its venture capitalism kind of um, improve even more and, and how do you get young people 
you know, I, I tend to find um, within my own degree, so scientists or STEM background kind of guys in the UK, we're huge on services, right? People in yep. finance, in law, in consulting, right? But who's actually making the stuff that you're going to invest in in 10 years time? Who, who are the really, you know, the, you know, we've got so many people going to those places. Who are the brilliant guys who are going to make the next uh, Amazon or whatever it happens to be? That's really crucial for me. And Elon Musk has kind of touched upon that a few times. You know, the most brilliant people should be making the stuff, um, but they're not at the moment, in my opinion. They're going, they're either staying in research and chasing funding their whole life, or they're going into services and investing in other people's ideas. So what do you think we can do in the UK um, to get brilliant people to execute their brilliant ideas? Well, one thing I think the UK has that no one else has and is the best thing that, I have, that I've seen in terms of funding is the UK actually has a tax system and a program of certification for tax advantage treatment of investments that no other country has. So at least that I've heard of. It's the um, EIS and the SEIS programs, which allow you to take in, I think with, with EIS, up to 12 million pounds from various sources as individual investors who are individual taxpayers who can invest, I don't know how much they can invest on an annual basis, but they can put into your company tax with tax advantage consequences. So if you put in some money and immediately get a tax refund, and if you hold on to that investment for long, a long enough period, the, um, not only the losses, but then also any of the gains are tax-free. It is a way in which people, even if they didn't have a huge belief in the company, are able to manage some of their um, tax optimization strategy. It doesn't exist in other countries in which I've um, invested or in which I've been invested. So that is a huge tax advantage. That's a huge advantage for young companies who are seeking funding. If they can get themselves certified as EIS or SEIS, which they can, Many of our companies in our portfolio do that, and that's the initial money they get in, hundreds of thousands of pounds they can get in that way, um, as long as we can get them into networks where there are people with hundreds of thousands of pounds. And that's a different question. So let me say that that's one thing that needs to happen. The other two things which I think need to happen is we need to stop relying upon networks so much in the UK that are based on education. I think some people would say that they're based on class. And those networks which say that these people with these sorts of backgrounds can have access to these sorts of opportunities and this sort of you know, well-oiled road to get to an advantaged um, introduction and that other people have no access and we will not actually hear from people. Impact X actually has, again, on its website, an intake form. All you have to do is fill in the intake form if you have an idea, not an idea, but if you have a business that you want to grow, that's where you actually reach us and we then start our process of engagement from there so that it's a democratization, a democratizing of that and others should actually take this also. And I would have everyone on this phone call remember that in the United States is not monolithic. I spend most of my time on the East Coast in terms of the venture back community, and it's very different. The only place in the world that is like Silicon Valley is Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is where all the social media sites come from. Silicon Valley is where all those infrastructure plays come from. Silicon Valley is what can incubate a, an Uber and an Amazon and a Netflix. No other place in the world does that because every place else, including here in the UK, including us as an investor, are looking for ways to get businesses that are of a certain sort of a scale and the size, but it might be a, a lack of aspiration and inspiration that we actually think that that would be great to get a company that's actually a, a business that has profitability and then sell that on at a later stage as opposed to growing a business that doesn't really have a business model, but has lots and lots of, uh, so lots and lots of um, users 
and then come up with a business model later on top of that don't encumber people and we can get someone to offset those costs called investors no place else in the world does that exist other than in, in its scale other than silicon valley so you know i wouldn't actually use that as a method but and if you compare yourself instead to the east coast of the united states boston new york atlanta washington dc there many the dynamics are very similar to the UK in terms of how people invest. And then if you look at the rest of Europe, including Sweden, where Spotify and others come from, you'll find that there's, you know, the dynamics that you have in the, in the UK are, are, are somewhat the same. Those things I think would be highly recognizable to anyone moving among those spaces. I do think that it is very much time for us though, to get over the idea that it is not a young black woman from Streatham. I think this is what really holds us back, that it's not a young black woman from Streatham who is really going to come up with a new approach to looking at credit and that is going to revolutionize the world. I think, you know, not only do we as people of color need to get over that and we as women need to get over it, but then we as, you know, others need to also get over that, that that is an impossibility or we would be surprised if that was going to happen. We need to be very, we need to embrace that those things are going to happen more and more and they've been happening and we've just not been smart enough to know to to see those things and so therefore that's why an impact x is here to make sure that we are giving those organizations the proper viewing and the proper institutional support that they need well i i don't think i could summarize um my own podcast much better better than that that's um that is perhaps what you know you guys who are listening in um however few you may be should be taking away you know uh your perception of how investment works and who um not just um investment sorry but how you interact in society and how you view people from different backgrounds um really question that going forward um i'd like to think that i i'm not just teaching you how to get a job at uh, goldman sachs and morgan stanley but perhaps there is um when when talking to people like Eric, there is some other information that may add value to your life in a more holistic fashion. So um, I'd like to say thanks a lot, Eric. Um, I've really enjoyed this. Um, even if it wasn't being recorded, I would have. Uh, I will stay for the whole hour um, and even more. But I'm worried that we're, we're coming up to your time. Is there anything you'd like to say? Just finally, you don't have to, but if you want to, perhaps to some of our young listeners out there. What I would say is thank you for doing this. Thank you for making sure that there is a forum in which not only are these statements made, but that they're saved and made available to a population. So many things are throwaway. So many statements are, are not able to be then shared a bit more broadly. And what we're trying to do is to have an institutionalized knowledge of and to have a sort of a widely disseminated bit of knowledge. Use this as the opportunity to try and get that. I don't know. Everyone's not going to get to Impact X. Everyone's not going to get to me. This is an opportunity to ask. When you've asked some provocative and interesting questions, it might not be the format. and It might not be the most entertaining. I'm not that funny a guy. But, you know, I think that there is information here that maybe you haven't heard elsewhere and hopefully will take you down a path of additional exploration to come to the conclusions that, you know, investing as well as entrepreneurship are important partners and something that can change the world. And that's what we're up to, changing the world.